You're listening to Chew On That, and here's what we're chewing on today. Studies say that we feel an average of five hours of guilt each week. That surprised me. We feel guilty when we spend too much or when we save too little. We feel guilty for working too much or for taking the day off. We feel guilty when we feel sick or when we feel tired. We feel guilty for being too emotional or for being too serious. We feel guilty about things we've said and done, and we feel guilty about things we failed to say and do, and we feel guilty about the things that we think that others think that we should have said or done or failed to say or do. We feel guilty more often than we care to admit. We even have categories for guilt, and there's a plethora of them. Guilty pleasures, guilty conscience, guilt by association, food guilt, survivor's guilt, parenting guilt, which we've already covered, Catholic guilt, and that's a big one. Talk to any Catholic you know, and they will tell you all about it. Guilt complex, and of course, a guilt trip, which isn't as fun as you would think it would be. We sometimes even consider it to be a badge of honor to feel guilty that we're being good and right and following what we should be if we have a level of guilt in our lives. One quarter of all adults struggle with chronic guilt, persistent, excessive, unresolved, unrelenting guilt that interferes with daily life. But guilt as an emotion has a purpose with the capacity to benefit our lives greatly. In fact, godly guilt brings healing to the brokenhearted, releases us from the captivity of condemnation, and brings comfort to all those who are still mourning, making all things new. Which is what we're talking about today in a message titled, Guilt, What's It Good For? Hey, welcome to Chew On That. You are joining us for a podcast where we uh, essentially break down the message and then give you uh, our takes on... The message, yep. what, what we took out of the message, uh, uh, maybe some talking points that you maybe not thought of, or maybe you thought incredibly about, and we just happened by happenstance, pull that clip and we're going to talk about it. I think that was a long explanation for what we do, be it that this is like, what are like 200 and some odd show? Yeah, but you know what? I feel like it's it's back to fall, it's routine. So maybe you're looking for a new podcast and you just stumbled upon this. Maybe you come to Life Church, maybe you don't. Either way, super cool. We're glad you're here. And yeah, I think you just broke it down really great. Yes. In case that, you're new. That's Megan. She's, hey. she's with us every single week. Uh, and joining us today is Pastor Jessica. Um, if this is the first time you're listening, I want you to just assume she's always been here. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> If that yeah. works. Pastor Jessica, what, what what is it that you pastor? Oh, um, kids. And I'd like to say anybody younger than me. So anybody who is uh, well, 33, <laughs> younger than 33. Just one day younger or? Yeah. Just yeah. Old, you qualify that. Then you qualify. Yeah. Cool. I just like to. <laughs> I love it. Pull people younger along with me. Yeah. It's like the people younger than Jessica get their coffee discounted at McDonald's. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. How old do you have to be for that? I think 55. 55. Okay. Is it 55? The golden I years. don't know. You're, why did everybody look at me yeah. when I'm talking about McDonald's? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, Jessica, um, like when she talks, there, there are a handful of people that make me laugh, like honestly laugh. And I think yeah. I've talked about this on the show, uh, that make me like honestly laugh and crack up. And pastor Jessica is one of those people. Totally. And also pastor Jessica, uh, I hold in high esteem for her intellect. So I'm going to oftentimes for the next hour, look at you and be like, is what I said correct? Right. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. I feel like you read a lot. 
I have do we talked enjoy about this? Reading. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where like you are a seeker of information mm-hmm. and that coupled with your award-winning personality. I mean, oh. yeah. <laughs> wow. I know. What awards have I won? I don't know. I feel like we used to So many awards. don't even know the number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but your Dallas is, you know, sidekick, yep. partner in crime for kids yep. here. Um, what else do you do? Yes, like I, that's, a, that's a great question. Or in question. life. In yeah, life. both. Okay. Because I know you have other jobs, but I, yeah. I, I don't even know if I know them all. <laughs> I do. So um, I teach dance classes to um, mostly pretty little kids, seven and younger. Um, once they get older than that, I they know more than me. Um, <laughs> and I nanny. Um, I'm here working with students and kids. So really just have a passion for kids. I love that. I like that. I have two of my own. They're 10 and 12. Yeah, yeah, they're good kids. We were talking about them in the pre-show that they're, they are, if my children are as obedient and as bubbly as your children are yeah. at their age, I will, I will know I've done something right. Yeah. Or Jenna did something right. <laughs> Someone did something God. right. Someone did something really good here. We, we aren't losing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my Thank gosh. You. Okay, so this week, uh, Pastor Becky talked about um, grief. <sighs> Keith, stop it. <laughs> so last week, I mean, I did say grief on the show. Well, I, I looked, I looked, up. I looked at Pastor Dallas and Megan, um, and I was like, "What's what's she what's she talking about?" Yeah. And then Megan, like right away, not even didn't even blink. She goes, "Grief." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: when you think of Pastor Becky, yeah. I feel like grief kind of comes to mind because uh, with Journey to Wholeness, that there's so many topics that they cover, but I feel like grief is just kind of mm-hmm. the one that is like very prevalent, and uh, so. I feel like that's why it came to my mind really fast. And it starts with a G. Yeah, it was close. You know, like I was real close. I was just a shade off. Yeah, yes. But um, She ended up talking about guilt. Yeah, so guilt is a little bit different. (laughs) Honestly, she could talk about any of them and you would be like, of course she is. She knows all about that. (laughs) Exactly. I I really thought about this week just keep hammering grief and see if every soundbite I could find could, 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 could tie could into grief. Oh I mean, maybe. I mean, you told the people we were going to be talking about grief. Yeah. We wouldn't even, I went on to say after the show last week about like, oh yeah, I think, you know, I have some stuff to talk about. Yeah. Here's how, like, well, how are you going to talk about grief? How are you going to talk yeah. about grief? Right. So like we were walking, we had it planned out. We were walking down the hallway, leaving the podcast studio. Like, yeah, yeah. Next week's episode is going to be pretty good. Then we walk upstairs. <laughs> oh, it's on guilt. Yeah. <laughs> So much for that. All right. Um, well, but you know what? I think we're still well equipped yes. for today. So, so uh, I did the song, the song clips yesterday. I don't, I don't technically remember all of them, but I don't think that we we hammered this the like I don't think that any of the song bites are going to talk about the biblical story that Becky did talk about, mm. which was King David and Bathsheba. Yes. So if there's like context missing from that, uh, that's a story that she covered in detail. Uh, and it was, a a version of the story, not, not a version of the story, I guess a perspective of the story yeah, that I'd go. never, I'd never thought about that. Mm-hmm. What Bathsheba wasn't, maybe she wasn't a voluntary compliant, yes. uh, in, in that, uh, affair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I never once thought about that. And then when pastor Becky said, because had, had she committed adultery, she would have been stoned yeah. in that day and age. And, yes. and, and she never was. Yeah. She shows up later in the Bible. Like she's alive. Yeah. And so that brings a perspective thought like, oh, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Pastor Becky doesn't really say 
the word even. She doesn't say rape right. during Correct. her message, um, but it's it's there and mm-hmm. it's really in the text. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, we're talking, I always had this, when I read the story, don't know why, like I see it in my head, right? I see like Bathsheba on the roof uh, bathing. Mm-hmm. And I see David also on a rooftop, but he can like see her cause they're like at the same level, right? Like that's just what I've always seen in my head. Yeah. But she's like, no, that's not, that's not it. Like don't. It never says that she's on the roof. It never says that she's on the roof. She's, she's in her living quarters. Yes. She's in her quarters. Which, and, he, and he's on an elevated position yes. based on royalty. Yeah. And he up can, on a hill. He yeah. can see his vantage point. He can see yeah. down. Yeah. And they're then, not like batting eyes at each other no. and like, it's like right. she's, not, she's not his neighbor. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Hey, David. It's not, it's not, he any, it's not like that. Basically, it spied her out, yeah. had her brought up, mm-hmm. and then she goes her own way. So none of the story was, you know, her trying to get to King David or, you know, whatever. We would have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, uh, I was uh, assigned to do the, uh, the, closing portion of the service. So after that, and I, I go up at first service and I'm like, still like scratching my head. Like, yeah, I don't even know what to say. Like I, I we should just stop right there. Cause like I've read that story countless times. and I never thought about that. I was literally like, my mind was like racing. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. what, what did I just, I just heard. Oh my gosh. That's there. So that yeah. could be, that could be really true. That. Right. And so, yeah, that put me in a spot. Cause I immediately had to come up with words when I was, Walking yeah. on the platform, and my mind was still like, "Yeah, what? Whoa, what did I just? Yeah. Oh my goodness!" So that I don't think we took any sound bites from the actual story. Uh, and Megan's going to going to find where in the Bible that story actually takes place. Uh, she just looked at me like, um, <laughs> I, "I am." <laughs> so, like, I mean, yeah. we're about to play a first sound bite, so she has like a minute and a half. Yeah, I can do it. That's and, what Google. And, we'll, and we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> We'll put that in the show notes. So if you are uh, inclined or intrigued to reread the story with a, a maybe a different lens, a uh, different perspective, because I guess reality is all is all based on the perspective you're seeing through, right? Mm-hmm. Your re, your personal reality. So I just want to say- uh, Did you find it already? Britannica. Well, I didn't find the verse just yet, but the encyclopedia literally says, what is the story of David and Bathsheba in the Bible? Bathsheba was the daughter of Elam and probably a noble birth. A beautiful woman, she became pregnant after David saw her bathing on a rooftop and had her brought to him. Ooh. So we wonder why we think this. Yeah. Because, because conflicting things have told you that's that's how it was. That's true. But this is, again, what a great example of, it's 2 Samuel 11 for anyone who's Second 2 Samuel 11. Yep, there you go. Um, you know, what a great example of, are you doing your due diligence? Mm-hmm. Are you reading the text? Or are you just like, well, everyone said it, so it must be true. Yeah. Like yeah. in know, multiple sources, like you would yes. think the Encyclopedia Britannica would be like, <laughs> okay, but, that's true. But then that brings me to wonder, and I, and I don't have the answer to this, so I'm not trying to be like, ha set you guys up. Uh, I wonder how many other versions actually have those, that, those words in the text. Mm-hmm. Like how many other translations say it was a rooftop? I yeah. mean- I mean, I haven't done the research. I so, just, as a, as a, as a person who actively reads the word and stuff like that, that's would be my first, I would want to go to different translations. I mean, right. So the NIV says one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace from the roof. He saw a woman bathing. Ooh. I mean, that's kind of and as that, plain as it gets. And that's as plain as it gets. And that's it's There's no, there's no, there's no, she's ambu- not on the roof. Yeah. There's no a- ambiguity about that. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. 
the man said, she is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, who, as Becky did mention, was a a decorated military official. He was like high up. And and some have reason to believe it was was one of his friends. Yes. Mm. At that point in that that army, it would have been impossible for for him not to know. Yeah. It's crazy how there's so much context in like one sentence. Like, how are you stopping and being like, okay, who is Uriah? Who were the Hittites? Like there's so much context there. Yeah, you're totally right. I would have like, I commend you for reading that with perfect, uh, you, you, you said all those words perfectly. Thanks. Like I would have stumbled on I was that. a little worried about Uriah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say it. I just said it how you said it. I was like, I think it was about back to like setup. And this is how the Encyclopedia Britannica was written. <laughs> I don't know if it's right. Yeah. I just heard it. Just put it in there. She's on the roof. He's on the roof. Anyway. <laughs> So what is guilt? Psychology defines guilt as a powerful physiological emotion, meaning it hits us in our mind, our body, our spirit, and several places in our body. We experience this when we believe we are responsible for doing wrong. Its purpose is to prompt us to take loving action. Guilt is good and good for us. You may be wondering, why do I struggle with it so much? Why does it infect my life on a daily basis sometimes? We struggle because guilt reveals what is at the root of us. Regardless of what you've done or not done or think you've done or believe that you may be guilty for, it reveals what is at the heart of you, what may have nestled there and still remains there. It reveals when we have faulty thinking, beliefs living in us that don't line up with God's truth and we need a recalibration. Ooh, I love that, a recalibration. How are we posturing ourselves? Are we, and I say this a lot, but are we coming into it with a a humble mind? What's our mindset, right? Um, I really like how Becky breaks down guilt and man, she is just the expert. And I'm always feeling like I can't take notes fast enough uh, to keep up with her. But how she says guilt shows what is at the core of you. I thought, really? At the root? At the root of who I am? My guilt exposed that? Um, And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, right? Those times where I was struggling with guilt, what were the things that were like prevalent in my mind? I am worthless. I am nothing. I am wrong. I've admitted to this staff, I have like a a fear, I guess, of being wrong. Um, like I don't want to be misled. I don't want to be mistaught. I don't want to read the scripture and like not understand it. And yet <laughs> at some point I will and I do because I'm human and humans make mistakes. And as Pastor Becky said, that's not that's not the issue here. God knows that you're going to make mistakes. I will be wrong. But if I am living in that like identity and just every single day feeling guilty and guilty about I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I did this wrong and I did this. Now my brain is looking for it. And every example it can possibly find of me being wrong, it will. Um, And I'll just kind of like live in that spiraling pattern. How unhealthy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I love how Pastor Becky said that um, guilt is good. Like it has a purpose. I think of guilt as like the nudge from the Holy Spirit that like, you know, maybe you did something wrong and you need to reevaluate 
but that's where it's supposed to end. We're not supposed to mm. carry it for as long as we do. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a catalyst for mm-hmm. something, not the, not the end. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I, I liked how, and she's going to explain this. I think if you in the next clip, so maybe I don't want to, uh, spoil, spoil what I have. Uh, but shame and guilt are different things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're different emotions. They're different. They're different. And I think that when one person feels like, uh, when they've done something wrong after you've, and this is how I take it after you've admitted your guilt, then what remains is shame. Yeah. Cause you, you, you've, you've professed your guilt. Yeah. So the, those feelings afterwards are shame. When I was, uh, when I was actively using, um, I was a late teen. I had committed a really bad act to one human being and, uh, they didn't know right away. And, and that they ate me alive. Like, cause they, they meant something to me. Like they, they were, a, and still to this day at 20, 20 plus years later, I think back on that person and they still hold a spot in my heart. Like I still care for their well being. Um, but anyway, I'd, com- I'd committed some, like I'd wronged them severely. And that feeling I had in my stomach before they knew, like, and had I, had I never said anything, I would have lived with guilt likely mm. for, I can presume the rest of my life. Well, weeks, uh, weeks after the uh, incident, I ended up telling them and I was honest with them and it doesn't make me a better person because I, I was a dirtbag, but I was at least honest. And the guilt was immediately gone. Like mm. that feeling you get like, ah, oh, that felt good telling you, yeah. you know, you don't say it out loud, especially in, in, in when you're being a dirtbag, those instances, but that wasn't the end of it. What was replaced then was shame. And that shame I carried for years. Hmm. I, when I ultimately found uh, Jesus and, and sobered up, found Christ, uh, it took it for, uh, that was a thing I, I worked on was the shame that I yeah. felt from the things I had done when I was on drugs, hmm. uh, which were a, a lot. The, the, the list was very long. I had to, I had to make right those wrongs where I could. Um, story goes, you, you know, a couple of years later, I was able to, to say sorry to that person. That person was like, you're, you're a dirtbag. I don't want to hear it. Um, mm. and I, I didn't hunt out that person. It was one of those, we, mm-hmm. we just, th- those moments where God, uh, orchestrates you to be in proximity. And then that feeling that the Holy spirit gives you saying, yeah, you got to go say sorry again. And then I did. And it, and that, that didn't relieve the shame either. Mm-hmm. The person was still, if they weren't actively upset with me, they were still like, I, I, you're, 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 you're a dirtbag. I don't want you in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't accept your apology. Just leave. And then, so there's that more shame that lasts for yeah. a long time. Ultimately, the shame did go away through prayer, through admitting my faults to God and to other people. Like I had to dissect that. But I thought about that uh, as winded as that was about, I remember the feeling I had before that person knew what I'd done to them. Mm. And that was guilt. I was, I was guilty. I felt, I felt overwhelming amount of guilt. And once that person knew I had no, I no longer felt guilt, but I did feel shame. Mm-hmm. And I felt that for that sentence, the, every action has a sentence. And that yeah. sentence of shame that wow. I paid my, I, 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 I paid a penance yeah. for my action. 
And that was shame. And I've said this in, on this podcast before. I mean, in, my, in the worst parts of my life, all of these things I've committed, these acts of, these crimes I committed, um, they, it was to a point where I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I was so ashamed of myself. Mm-hmm. And what is shame then? You know, is shame the, I know that I, I have more potential and I'm better mm-hmm. than what I'm doing. While, while, I, while I always judge myself on my intentions, which my intentions, even in my worst, were good. The world judges me on my actions, and those were miserable. So at the end of the day, was I a miserable person? Yes, because the world judged me on my actions. The, the Lord judges me on, on my heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's a fact, Jack. But, I mean, at some point, I have to be held accountable for my actions as well. Yeah. My intentions were always good. My actions were miserable. Yes. And, I mean, that's what we see in the text. David is, he's forgiven, he is restored. And that is what God wants for you. And I think your story you just told Keith is is a great example of how you feel that conviction and it spurs an action. And that was the, the admitting. And don't take it like, well, I said, you know, I admitted it. And then this person was even more angry at me and da, da, da. Like, nope, you, if you did the action that God is telling you you need to do, then you were faithful. And now, yeah, are you going to live in that in that shame because that's not God holding that shame upon you anymore. Correct. Right. Like now you're being uh, held captive by the enemy who loves, <laughs> loves to remind us of all the things that we've done mm-hmm. of our entire past, of all the things that we've said that we shouldn't have said. Correct. And um, hold that upon you. And that is your shame. While reading, I read Job uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And then my, one of my small groups had a, a study on Job and one one thing I've been looking at, the enemy, I haven't really called the enemy lately. I've been calling him the accuser as he's labeled in Job. Ooh. And Ooh. what you said, what you just said, Megan, the accuser, all the accuser mm-hmm. wants to do is, uh, uh, A, just show you show you your true colors. He's The accuser is doing anything he can by the books and outside of the lines to just have you show your true colors. Yep. And and what the accuser does is to like a, like a, like a prosecutor goes to the, goes to the high court, goes to the judge and goes, see, it's guilty. Told you. Mm. And how you, even as you explain that the accuser just said, see that shame you're feeling. That's you, man. Yeah. And I, I can't even say that that's a, that's all negative because I'll tell you what I was that. Yeah. It's up to me how long I want to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's an awesome point is that the accuser, he's not always wrong. He's not no, no. always lying. No, he's right? not always a lying cheat. Like sometimes we're, we're doing the part for him. Yeah. He's like, this is an open shut case. I, I didn't even have to do my I notes. I didn't even have to do anything. Yeah. Do, just... you have, do you have any other comments, prosecutor? Uh, no, I think we're good here. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, we know that's not the point, right? Yeah. Like the, that's not the point. That's not the end. You're forgiven and you're redeemed and you're restored. Are you going to, believe that and live in that? Are you going to stay in the shame and the guilt and the yuck? Because yeah, uh, Satan just wants to shove your face in your mess, make you look in the mirror over and over again. And you're like, I don't need a reminder. I know, I know who I was, but now I know who I am. Responsibility requires that we not only recognize when we've done wrong, but that we confess it. Not to condemn us or humiliate us or shame us, but because when we can say it and see it fully, it no longer has a hold on us. See, neuroscience tells us that our brain will continually bring to our attention what has not been identified 
categorized and resolved over and over, and it'll grow into worry, anxiety, confusion, and even fear until we deal with it. So ignoring it, burying it, avoiding it will only make our physiology, because remember, it's a physiological emotion, work harder, activating our stress response until it gets louder, trying to get our attention to process it. Scripture actually confirms the neuroscience in John 14, telling us that God has given us his Holy Spirit to teach us and remind us to bring us back into peace, free from the debt of sin, out of a stress response, into rest. And so when we have done wrong, when we've made a mistake, when we've chosen sin, it is God's design that we will experience guilt until we recognize it, acknowledge it, and confess it so that we can be free from it. Not to condemn us, not to condemn us, but to convict us. Condemnation gathers evidence and repeatedly points to the flaw and the failure, the problem and the pain. It accuses and punishes, but conviction leads us to a grieving that points us to Jesus. Because Jesus tells us that this current condition is temporary. The healing and redemption, salvation and forgiveness is the work he has, is and will continue to do until the day that he returns. That where I deserve a reckoning, God is mercifully and gracefully and generously restoring. Yeah, and that's, remind that, I mean, that's what we just talked about. Uh, I mean, these, these things are all for, for, for good, if that's how you want to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, those, the, the psychological study on why we feel this, what's going on in us, um, there's a point and a purpose. Now, does, does that give me the excuse to, uh, to live in it, though? Yeah. You know? Um, I, know, I know there's a lot of people that are living today, uh, because of yesterday's and they haven't let go of either the person they were and they don't want to realize that they're not that person anymore or the person that they weren't and the shame that follows them not being what they want to be. Um, you, you ask yourself, well, what, why would God allow it? You know, I, I think that I would not be the person I was I can like as I'm sitting here thinking like the some of the worst stuff I've done, hurting that person that I talked about in the last segment, that was one of the that was one of the for me, that was a turning point in my life. Mm. And and probably the thing that I regret doing the most in my life, in my entire life. Of all the words I've said and some were good, a lot have been bad, of all the actions I've done, the people I've stolen from, the things I things I robbed, material and emotional. That, that act, yeah, that 24 hours really shifted stuff. Um, would I be the person I, I, I am today had that event not happened? No. I, truthfully, I don't, I, truthfully, I don't even know if I'd be sober had that event not happened. Mm-hmm. And we ask, well, why, why, how, how and why does God allow these bad things to happen to me or, or my surroundings or the people I love? And- uh, they have to be for good. They have to ultimately be for good. You know, I, I've, I've, I've replayed that last year of my life while I was actively using a lot in my head. And I like to think that the, the, the accuser was 
playing with me, messing with me. And God said, I'm going to allow it because I know what this is going to produce and the fruit it will produce. I think we often want to be a bigger hero in this story than we really are. I think, especially, especially men. And I, we, I talked about this in, in my Thursday group this week that we oftentimes want to be the, the hero of our, of this story, this plot. And, we, and it's sometimes difficult for us men to swallow it and be like, we're barely a, we're barely a sub player. We're barely a role player in this movie. We're like the extra that's walking down the street. If that, and we often want to be a hero, but sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I, I get in my head that I, that, well, without that, I, I would be, I wouldn't even be an extra without those events happening in my life. I wouldn't even be an extra on this show. My role in the show would be insignificant, but because of these things, because I, I turned what the accuser wanted to destroy me. I turned that towards God, which ultimately led to, to good, uh, I'm back in the game, you know? I love how Pastor Becky said that um, conviction points us to Jesus. Yeah. Like it doesn't, or it shouldn't push us away from him. It should draw us closer to him when we have those feelings of conviction. And I think it just depends on which way you turn in the guilt and in the shame. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really good. <laughs> you know, uh, I've, I've been thinking, I'm like, so who feels, who feels true a godly guilt? Well, it's those who, uh, want to turn away from sin or those who are trying to like be better, right? Like Keith, you said you even knew you were better than that. Uh, but sometimes I think people just assume or think that like, nope, this is who I am. And actually I like, I like this. I want to be this, um, anything but Jesus. That's what I say. Like people will try anything but Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten really good at escaping conviction, at escaping guilt and shame by just like running faster in the other direction. Mm -hmm. Like I think of, um, you know, Hollywood and celebrities and kind of like this culture that they've created where if you can just go as fast as you can <laughs> the other way with, with cars, with money, with whatever, um, and like things that you want to keep you busy, then you can essentially escape mm-hmm. having to look yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. and like really feel the full weight of conviction because that would just be too much to bear, Right. I would feel too guilty. I'd feel too much shame if like I really just stopped and like thought about who I am and and what I'm doing. And I felt that for a long time too. I was like, if I just, I can't stop because then A, I'd have to admit that I was wrong, (laughs) which would be very hard. Uh, And and B, like, I like like what I'm doing. I'm having fun, right? Like, like this is good for me. Mm -hmm. Keith said something earlier about how um, when he apologized, when he spoke it out loud, it was just like this weight coming off. And I think of, you know, we mess up a lot. Yeah. And uh, you see people walking around and they just look so heavy sometimes. And it's like, Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to apologize to more than one person for more than one thing. And it's just like, it adds weight to your life. That's so true. The apology portion, um, there was a lot of prayer going into uh, that moment that that season of my life when I was clearing away the wreckage of 
of a of a of a past that wasn't wasn't delightful. Um, and there were some people that upon prayer, uh, and this is this was when I this was truthfully when I was maybe 21, 20, 21, 22, but that was when I was starting to realize the ramifications of asking God for something and mm-hmm. and him talk him talking back. I I think as a as a pastor, I hear a lot that, oh, I'm praying, but I don't ever hear I don't ever hear nothing back. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's impossible. Yeah. Like you're hearing something, you just don't know. You're not tuned into the frequency. Um, that's when I I got my radio antenna to a proper tuning with God. Mm-hmm. That when I asked, He answered. And some and sometimes the answers were: if you go and talk to that person, if you go and search that person out, that person will not benefit. Mm-hmm. You know the the idea that should should we go apologize to clear our own conscience? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. My apology should never be for, so I can benefit. Yeah. My apology needs to be so that person can benefit. If there was ever an instance where me searching out a person and apologizing would actually do more damage, then I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when we apologize for for something we've done where we feel guilt, it's not about us anymore. Mm. That's where God's saying, it's not about it's not about you. All right. You talk to me about this. Maybe I'm gonna throw a few people in your life that you can bounce ideas off. Yeah. So that guilt turns into shame if you want it. Or turns into healing, but by no stretch of the imagination are are am I giving you a a, a a green light to go hurt that person again? Wow, I've had these apologies before, where I go to apologize to someone, and there's one specifically that I'm thinking about. It was not received. I yeah. was pretty much Did you told want, do to you want go s- away. Do you want to say their name? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, um, it was not received. She told me to not talk to her again, mm. to leave her alone. And I was, I realized what I wanted was for her to tell me it was okay. Right. Yeah. Right. I wanted her to be like, yeah, it's okay. I forgive you. So we the all apolog- do- you were looking for. Yeah. I wanted look- to feel better. Right. I knew I did something wrong and I wanted her to tell me it was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yet uh, when we've done something wrong and chosen sin, we will wrestle with it until we repent. Repent to who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not repenting to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to repent yeah. to God. And then and then you realize that God says to you, it's okay, mm-hmm. I forgive you. And you get that forgiveness and you get that feeling, this like desire that you have in your heart. And of course it's there because God placed it there. And again, God knows you're gonna make mistakes. Mm-hmm. He didn't say go and live on the earth and never make another mistake again. I mean, turn away from sin, but you will, you will fall short. You're never gonna be perfect. That's not gonna happen but can you continually strive to be better? Yeah. Yes. Can you turn away from sin? And when you do sin, can you repent so that you don't have to struggle and Mm. live in the guilt? Because God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to have to wear your shame like a badge of honor, right? Yeah. And so this, um, I guess the segment is for me, the highlight of this little song bit. And the segment is I myself got, uh, got closer to God and started understanding his path for me. Uh, and by path for me, I'm like that, that's, uh, isn't that kind of like what we're all walking around trying to figure out? Like, God, what's my path? Yeah. I found that by praying to the, praying to God about how to handle the situations I had screwed up. Mm. And, and when I, when God started showing me a blueprint, and like I said, in, in that first segment, that person just showed up. Like that's one of those. I remember when I was talking to, my, my first sponsor, I was, and that was, again, there was a lot of shame about that person, what that person, like 
what that person was in my life and then how it kind of, mm. so I, I go, I, I don't think, and I, I maybe started this Jesus journey with, I would never say sorry to that person. That person deserved the, this because they also did this. Mm. And then my sponsor goes, okay, okay. So over the months we were talking and then I remember I turned, I turned a corner when he goes, okay. So like in the hypothetical incident that like you are both in a cave and there's a cave in, like you're not going to die, but it's going to be like six hours before you get out of this cave. And it's just you and this person. You wouldn't maybe after hour four go, you know what? I'm sorry. I I did. Sorry. And I think I was like, well, you know, in that, in that weird, dumb scenario. Yeah. yeah. Maybe after four <laughs> hours, I'd look that person yeah. and be like, sorry. And then, and then he's like, well, there you go. Yeah. Now let's take you out of a cave. If you just ran into that person in the street, you think maybe you'd be compelled to say sorry for the things you'd done. Um, I said, well, maybe, you know, I don't think it because we were yeah. at that point, this person was living in another city. Like this is no, there's no way it's, like, well, fine. Maybe I, maybe I would say sorry. And then, so like when I, I have this like anger and this, this, like this animosity because my mind was still screwed up. Like I know I did some bad things to him and there was deep down shame, but I wanted to mask that with anger. Wow. I wanted to mask mm-hmm. that with, yeah, but they did this. Yeah. So I know I feel like garbage about what I did, but, uh, what about me? And that's, uh, you know, an emotional distraction. Right. So I was talking about distraction before how we can distract ourselves. I guess I was talking material, but we can distract emotionally yeah. as well. So yeah. we can, we can make a story be whatever we, we can, we want to weave it up to be. Yeah. So anyway, this person just like, it was one of those weird instances. Like, 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 oh my gosh, I, 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 I think we we're in a store. I'm like, how? And then that's where I'm walking. And then it, 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 the apology ended much like, like yours, Jessica, where it was just like, cool, but like, you're still a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. And then. Were you still a dirtbag? At that point, no. Yeah. It's funny how when you wrong someone, it's like you are forever stuck in that point of your life mm-hmm. in their head. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's, and, and at that point it, it was, it was years after I came to Christ years after I was sober, my life was like I was, it was, it was starting to work. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I truly wasn't anymore. But then at the end of that, like there wasn't much shame anymore because I'd done my part. God had uh, put the person up to bat and, and I was there and I, I did my part. And, and I, I truthfully, you know, it, it wasn't like a would, which was where that was that person worse off, you know, did that ruin their day? No, it was one of those. Okay, cool. But you're still like a dirtbag. See ya. You know, mm-hmm. So it was one of those weird situations where when you pray more and when you pray specifically, uh, God will start showing you your point and purpose. Like the frequency my, in those years of becoming a better person and making right my wrongs, I was learning how to hear God. I was learning how to talk to God. And then when I realized that it was working in those situations where my past um, I don't shut the, I haven't shut the door on it, but like, that doesn't bother me anymore. My past doesn't bother me anymore. Um, then I, then I started converting that to other things like, well, if he could help me in that, I wonder if he could help me with finances, like the stress I feel there. If he could help me with that, I wonder if he could help me land, like figure out what I want to do for a career. If he could do that, if he could do that, if he could do that, I wonder if he could show me how to be a dad. I wonder if he could make me a good husband. I wonder if he could show me how to understand his word better and then lead. Yeah. I wonder if he can, I wonder if he could show me how to be a pastor. 
And I say, I wonder, but truthfully, there's, there's never been a doubt. Mm. It's just the scary thing is when I actually ask, he will answer. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes the answer, like we've said in this podcast, sometimes the answer isn't what you want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the answer terrifies you, but the closer you get to the fire, the warmer it's going to get. Yeah. So good. God himself can settle the debt and heal what is broken. Godly guilt will bring resolution and restoration because guilt was never meant to last a lifetime. And for some of you, it has lingered a lifetime. How many years have you been carrying the weight of a guilt of something that happened so far back that it's hard to even remember where it started? You need to start asking, what is making you feel guilty? Who is trying to make you feel guilty? And what is calibrating your guilt meter? When you have confessed and repented and asked God for forgiveness, do you believe Romans 8, 1, when it says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Or 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I could give you a whole list a page and page and page of verses that tell us to remind us to bring our attention to this. And yet we still live with and carry guilt. So um, at this point in the message, like we've felt the conviction, we've repented, you know, the guilt is supposed to go away. Um, And I have a question for you guys that I honestly don't know the answer to. Um, Often when we move past guilt, like the shame lingers. And I've heard people say that shame is not from God. What do you think of that? Yeah. You you can start. (laughs) I think you can live with kind of a a holy reckoning. Yeah, I made mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And they were not great. And uh, I can kind of live, I would actually say I live with more of a sorrow than a shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you know what? I think that's for my benefit. Because I think that that's to show me that, you know, don't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't, I guess I've heard that sentence, but yeah. you, you replace that word with other words. Um, I, I think that it's a powerful uh, learning mechanism. I th- yeah. And I think it, that it's a learning mechanism. Like, is it of God? Uh, I don't know why it wouldn't be. Because essentially the shame triggers either... Uh, a rabbit hole of despair, sorrow, pain, anger, hate, because that's an avenue we can take or it can lead to repentance. It can lead to trusting, stepping in more. And I think that God will oftentimes place two options in front of you, one of which is the obvious right one and one of which is the obvious bad one. And I think that people today, uh, I, you just, I just look at the world and I think a lot of people are just choosing the wrong one over and over and over. And then you, then that boils down to, but why would God allow that? Because this, all of this since day one has always been about, you have a free will. I want you to uh, substitute your free will for me. And then we live. Mm. It, it involves in order for us to live for eternity, we have to die to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And shame is that is a trigger. It's a, it's a, that's how we begin the, the ascent to live forever is by first feeling something to like, if I felt great all the time, why, why would I want to, 
you couldn't convince me to give my life to Christ. You know, I, I know that some people come to Christ on a winning streak. I, I, I didn't, but I know that there are, are an equal, I would say an equal amount that aren't, our batting average is pretty low by the time we try Christ. Like Megan said, like anything but Jesus. Yeah. You know, I came in the anything but Jesus category. I was, if I was, if I was on constant winning, what, what would, what would be my motivation mm-hmm. right. to, to die to myself? If myself was doing so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, and I mean, here in the story, uh, King David later on is confronted by a prophet who says you sinned, uh, you have sinned upon the Lord. Right. And, uh, at that point, then David pleads with God because God says that your child's going to die. And it, David refuses to eat. He lays on the floor and he doesn't sleep. He doesn't eat. Like he does nothing. He just lays there. And I'm like, he is feeling shame. Mm-hmm. Surely he's burning alive right now. Like, like that feeling. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it, ultimately I think that this kind of changes the course. And uh, so, yeah, I think that there is some elements to shame that like we are meant to feel and but don't also get it confused with like conviction, that conviction feeling where God is pointing to you and mm-hmm. saying, this is wrong. I love you, but this is wrong and mm-hmm. you can do better yep, yep. <laughs> and there's more for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think God will leave you hanging like that until yeah. you go back to God and say, right. I can't do this. Right. There's, there's, I can't fix this. Yeah. I was the one that got me into this. Yeah. How? It's not me. It's you. Like, so I don't know. You, you, that, that goes down a scary rabbit hole of why do babies die? You know, why, why, why does any, why does, why do the worst things in this world happen? Mm-hmm. And, and if you're not, yeah, if you're not strong in your faith, I'll say that if you're not strong in your faith, it's tough to, it's tough to swallow that and be like, where are you God? Yeah. Where, where are you? But in your faith, you can say that all of these have a, have a divine purpose. Mm-hmm. All of these things are of his will. Yeah. They're on his roadmap. So as I feel shame, does God want me to feel that forever? No, no. What he wants forever is me to be with him. Mm-hmm. And yep. that shame separates me from him. There you go. That anger separates me from him. That fear separates me from him. And that's not what he wants. So biblically staying, yeah, he doesn't want that. Right. But he's going to allow it. So that separation no longer exists. So good. Good, true, godly guilt will bring us conviction, which leads us to repentance and resolution. It gets finished, but false guilt will tell you that this error and failure is and always will be your identity and your legacy. It is persistent, excessive, unrelenting, and has no boundaries. It becomes an invasive species. It will spread and grow, getting weaved and tangled into unrelated part of your life, infecting your decisions impacting what you do or don't do and tainting your perspective. It will make you relive and replay and ruminate on the event over and over, a post-traumatic response, exhausting you as you try to make amends, you blame yourself and take on responsibility that isn't yours to carry. False guilt blames, accuses, separates, and shames. 
Ooh, I love this. Okay, so whether she said it in that clip or not, that was the line I was going to say because I have it down in my notes. And that's it. The enemy... He wants to destroy you, to kill you, to freeze you. Uh, you're like in the Incredibles, the Frozone guy. <laughs> like he wants, he wants you to not move ever again, to go nowhere, to be useless, immobile, stuck, right? And so when you start ruminating, like Pastor Becky said, when you start reliving and replaying and, and feeling this like blame game of what you've done, of who you've been, of who you've wronged and hurt and whatever, you're, you're stuck, you're frozen. How do you operate in the present when you're completely living in the past? How do you look forward to the future, make plans and know that they are good, says the Lord, when you're living in what was wrong and what was broken? You can't. And uh, yeah, so I'm just, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay right there in that. Like I'm, I'm not going to forget that false guilt blames, separates and chains. So the next time that I feel guilty about something, I'm going to go, no, this isn't for me. Like, like take it off, you know, take off your, the leash that like Satan's trying to put on you to keep you frozen in place. It's not for you. There was a long time um, at the beginning of my Jesus journey where I felt like my identity was every bad thing I ever did and every bad thing that ever happened to me. That was just where I was stuck living in. And I think we have to shed our old identity and remember what God says about us. Yeah, uh, the, the, the folks, so my question, as you were talking, Megan, uh, what's the difference between false guilt and regular guilt? Like well, because, because I, I I have felt guilty from things I have for surely done. Yep. What's how do I how do I decipher between false guilt and regular guilt? False guilt doesn't lead you to a point of action. So good godly guilt, as Becky said, it will push us to repentance. Ooh, I like that. And then it's gone mm-hmm. because now there is no condemnation for mm-hmm. those who are in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So now you have that wonderful thing we speak of called blessed assurance, right? Where like you are assured and you are you are firm, but false guilt just constantly keep, again, Satan's trying to put it back in your face. Like yeah. look in the mirror, man. I like I like that explanation mm-hmm. for it because as I've heard this now several times, I've heard this sound by I've, I was sat through the the sermon twice yeah. and then watched it again. Um but yes, that I wanted I want to reemphasize because that kept, question kept ruminating. Like, mm. like what is how do I how do I and that is the simplest form of that question. Yeah. It's real the the God the God given guilt will lead you to God, will lead you to growth, will lead you to and it and it goes away. It goes whoo, once it's once it's out there, it's gone. Yeah. But the 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 fake guilt, that's that's the one that yeah. eh, does some things to your head. Right. You know, it ain't true. But yeah, understanding which is which is important. Understanding which is which is a lesson in and of itself. And how, 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 do, I, uh, how do I essentially figure that out? What would mm. be the steps? Well, uh, you know what I'm thinking right now is Satan, he's the, mast, he's the deceiver, the great deceiver. And uh, his game is counterfeit. So he provides counterfeit guilt because it looks like, feels like, smells like a little bit like the guilt, the godly guilt, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the game that he plays. So you are constantly living in that confusion of, is this true or is this not? Mm -hmm. And you can kind of like stay in that. And if you're not reading scripture, praying, getting close to God, you don't, you feel like you never know. And what a great game that he plays to have us living this life of, I just never really knew. But how do you find out if a $100 bill is counterfeit? 
You test it. You with the marker. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have that, that Jesus marker? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like they have those in kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You test it. Yeah. 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 So how do you test it? You tell me. <laughs> Pastor Jessica. She's setting us up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, um, it's all about finding out what is the truth and where is there peace and where is confusion. And um, because I think, I think kind of the same thing could be said for shame as we were talking about earlier. Is it shame from the devil or is it, you know, just the feeling of I did something wrong from God? So where is it pointing you? Where's the truth? Where's the peace? Where's the clarity? And anything that doesn't have those things isn't of God. Do you have a process like, do you prayer journal through stuff like that? Like, what is your process, I guess, if you were wrestling with that? Yeah, definitely a lot of journaling. I go to a lot of therapy. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of things that I still wrestle with um, in not having come to my Jesus journey until like my mid-20s. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things you can mess up in the first 25 years of your life. And so, um, yeah, it took a long time for me to... Um, I think it, it felt like my punishment for the things that I did. Wow. Like that's just you know you messed up. Now you got to live with that. Yeah, you you would you you were the the judge, jury, and the bailiff, mm-hmm. and you sentenced yourself. And you, I felt the same thing. Yeah, I felt like you know God forgives, but I felt like what I did was too big to be forgiven it, it, for. It warrants these feelings because uh, I yeah. mean I, I I dug the grave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, it's, it's hard to forgive yourself, um, but sometimes you have to do it a lot and, um, you know, just keep going to God many times. Yeah. That's the, the, uh, my recipe is prayer meditation. So my prayer could start with, uh, let's, let's say I'd wrong somebody. Um, let's call that person. Gosh, there's so many names in the world. What would I, what would I call that person? <laughs> bill. <laughs> but I know some bills. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm still thinking of a dollar bill. <laughs> what about Uriah? Yeah. I don't know any, do I know any Uriahs? If I do, I'm so sorry. Let's call him Uriah. Oh gosh, that's going to be a tough name. So you're, so I go to God and could I say. Could have done Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I go to God and I say, Bill. <laughs> I go to God and I say, I, I know I've done this thing wrong to Bill. What do I do? And that's my whole prayer. And then, then I, then I sit in silence. Yeah. What do I do, God? And then those feelings that once you're in that frequency mm-hmm. and you don't, you, you, you'll know you're in that frequency when you're there, but that initial feeling of go say, sorry, mm-hmm. do nothing. Pray on me, come to me, come to me in prayer. Mm. Um, those are the Holy spirit telling me my direct answer, but I only hear when I'm listening. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, if, if all I do is pray, then all I'm doing is talking. Yeah. And if I never listen for the answer, that's you, you all have friends like that, where it's just you know, one person that just talks and talks and talks, but never asks you how your day was. You know, I, I, I worry like that, like, I don't want that to be my relationship with God. Like, ah, oh, I love my child, but all he does is talk. <laughs> like, like, and, th- and this happened and this happened and then I want you to do this and I want you to do this and then this happened and then, oh my gosh, I can't believe I feel like this. And da, 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 da. But then at the end of it, the person, you know, in, in this story, the child never goes, what do I do, dad? Yeah. And then just looks at 
at me for like, if, if that's how, if that's how my child came to me and then just walked away, I'd be like, what, but you, oh, but you should do this. Mm-hmm. You could do, you could do that. Then she'll, he's already gone. You know, so I have to make it very apparent that after I unload all of my day and my dad likes hearing that, loves it. I, when I, when I sit next to him and be like, and this happened and this happened and, oh, did you, did you see that? That was so cool, dude. And then, but then now what do I do dad? And then look with those, yeah. with those child's eyes and, and wait for the answer. So for me, it's med- like meditation in equal parts to prayer. And in a lot of times in my life, prayer is even 30% and 70% is listening. And that's where I'm at right now. Is that always the recipe? No, there are a lot of times where it's prayer, 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 prayer meditation, meditation. But where I'm at currently in my life is uh, pray on pray on what you what you what you what you what you need to know, like the next steps in this process, and then listen, because Dad will always tell you mm-hmm. he's never not there. Yeah, I found that my prayer life changed when I started thinking of God as a father. Yeah, uh, you know, being a mom, I had to think of it as like, okay, my kids are coming to me telling me they messed something up and how do they fix it? Uh, you don't, you want to help your kids fix what they messed up, but you don't want them to like talk about it for months and months and months. Like you, you're upset because they made their own life difficult and now they have to live with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, they're, you know, even if you are forgiven and, you've moved on. Like there are still consequences to what you've done. And now we have natural consequences and you never want to see life get more difficult for your kids, which we do that to ourselves. We make life more difficult for ourselves, but thinking of him as a dad has changed my prayer life. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Yeah. Like when I pray, like he's not sitting on a throne with his, Mm -hmm. you know, what is that thing called? Like a, like a, like a scepter, fancy cane scepter thing, you know, yeah. it's like, 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 like Aquaman. <laughs> that exactly. Are you talking like a trident? <laughs> yeah, uh, God, yeah. God is Jason Momoa in my head. <laughs> Just sitting there with this trident. <laughs> yeah. Like that's uh, how, you know, you think of him as like this almighty ruler, but he's also our dad. Yeah. It, it's interesting for me to talk to my friends who are of different denominations, because I think we kind of see God a little bit differently based on how you're we raised and how God was made to seem. Uh, but something really stood out to me and it was the love that you receive from your parents and the instruction that you receive from your parents will shape foundationally how you see God. Mm. And I thought, oh, because I can, you know, think of things where I'm like, well, but I experienced this and I went through this and, you know, you, you like poke at stuff, right? Of course we're human. So we do. Uh, and so that's how we think of God, but that's not it. He is, he is perfect. There is no tough love. He just loves us. He loves you. He's chasing after you. He wants to be in your space. That's so. great. That's great. That's, that's a good, that's a good spot to wrap up. Um, Pastor Dallas is gone to Israel, the country. Yes. Is it, is there a city of Israel? No? Nope. Okay. So, nope. so as I say, Israel, it's <laughs> yeah. just that. It's just the country. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the country. Um, He'll he, be back in a couple of weeks. He should have, he should have yeah. landed sometime late last night and he should be there right now. Jet lagged. Super jet lagged. Super jet lagged. It's probably what, yeah. probably it's, well, it's getting near nighttime. 
But you know uh, what? The marketing team is stoked for all the pictures we're going to get yeah. of Israel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally forgot to remind him to take video. Oh, I didn't. Okay, very good. Awesome. So he's going to be gone for a while. Jessica will be here uh, for the next for the next week for sure. Yeah. I, I don't know when Dallas comes back. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> we'll see him when we see him. Okay, so I assume it's Pastor Jessica again next week. And so if this is your first week... We're just going to have the same normal cast And for you, you know what? I don't know what the topic is next week. <laughs> don't even, make don't, a yeah, make don't a even, guess. Don't, I know that Pastor Sean's doing I know it's Pastor Sean. Yeah. Couldn't tell you what it's about. Couldn't tell you what it's about. Maybe it's grief. <laughs> yeah. And if, and if that's the case, we're really excited because we have a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> so thank you for listening to this week's uh, Chew on That episode. If you like the episode, please subscribe. We just got a review in uh, like a comment this past week. And I was like, oh, I love this. Like, I just, I had some people really uh, on Sunday service say that, oh gosh, you guys podcast is really hitting. And then I was, I looked at one of them. I was like, we were even considering kind of quitting it. Cause you know, just should we change something? Right. Um, but yeah. So uh, Jay, if you're, you're li- I know you're listening, Jay, uh, we're going to keep the podcast going and almost 100% because you told us to. Yeah. So there you have it. Cool. So thanks for listening to this episode of Chew on That. We will be back next week. I promise, Jay. And uh, come back hungry because why, Megan? Do it, Jessica. Come hungry because we're going to... No, 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 no. Chew on that. <laughs>